Welcome to Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes, a podcast. In this series, hosts Cassie Robel, the Director of Education, and Kathleen Trott, the Shop Manager for the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop, will introduce you to all the departments and people at Arizona Opera that are necessary to produce the operas you enjoy. In this episode, we are joined by Bradley Taylor, Arizona Opera's Lighting Supervisor. Welcome back to the Behind the Scenes podcast. Yeah, thanks for joining us today, Bradley. We're excited to have you. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Great. Awesome. So Bradley is fairly new to Arizona Opera, so we're excited to have him um, on this podcast. We talked with Greg Hirsch a little bit, who was our former director of production, and he spoke a little bit about lighting. But Bradley's main job here is our lighting supervisor, so we're really going to dive deep into what exactly it means to be a lighting supervisor and learn a little bit more about Bradley, who's just a wonderful asset to our Arizona Opera team. Yeah. So we'll start right off with what is a lighting supervisor? So a lighting supervisor is um, someone who oversees basically the entire lighting department, which um, basically includes the electricians and the people who install the shows and the lighting for the shows um, or special events or whatever it may be. Um, the other primary like uh, job of a lighting supervisor is to help facilitate the design from the designer's perspective. Um, so typically a lighting supervisor knows a lot more information about the spaces and about um, the certain difficulties that arise within a space that can't always be seen in draftings or pictures. And so the designers will often call and say, hey, you know, I want I have this idea. Um, would it work if I did it this way? And I may say, no, there's actually a beam there that's not in in the drawings and it's going to block out your light or whatever it may be. So um, my goal is to, or my job is to really um, just assist the designer in creating the design and then implementing the design as well um, with the team here. So Okay. Awesome. So you just said this a little bit, but while your title with us is lighting supervisor, a lot of times you also are our assistant lighting designer, which you just referenced. Yes. <laughs> what is What does that mean and what's the difference? Yeah, so a lighting supervisor will work a lot more in the electrical side of things, working with the crew, um, dealing with budget, making sure that, you know, purchases and things are within the budget. Um, whereas an assistant line designer, um, specifically with the assistant line designer role within Arizona Opera, um, a lot of it is updating paperwork, keeping track of paperwork and keeping track of how the design is going. Um, because then what happens is our designers actually don't go with us to Tucson. So the assistant line designer will take that show and remount it in Tucson. And as the assistant, my job is to um, keep the integrity of the design throughout the entire process um, when the designer's gone. So it kind of turns more into a designer role um, more rather than working with the electricians and the more um, nuts and bolts. So when we go to Tucson, we're taking down all of the lights that mm-hmm. we've put up in Phoenix and putting them all back up in tucson so they all get loaded up and go on a truck because we don't use any of the lights that are at the facilities right um yes and no so we have a pretty large inventory of lighting equipment so we have um more intelligent gear so like moving lights leds things like that all the conventional gear which is like your typical light bulb as some people would say we call them a lamp and 
the lighting world. Um, those are all actually venue stock. So another part of the lighting supervisor position is actually to check the inventory for all the spaces. When I receive the, the designs from the designer, I have to look through and make sure that we can achieve this design in every space. Mm -hmm. um, if not, we may have to rent some gear or, okay. we, you know, cut back on some things. So then it's feasible that you would use one light in one facility and then not use it in a different facility because of what that space has available. That is correct. Yeah. And there's also different positions from where the lighting comes from. So <laughs> if the designer wants, you know, a certain feeling or um, direction of light or this overall concept, it may be a totally different thing in Tucson or in another venue. And I have to find a way to make sure that that feeling is evoked on the stage the, and the, feels the same even yeah. though you've created it in a different way yes correct yeah mm, touring shows <laughs> <laughs> sounds really complicated <laughs> um what so all of that to say what is your favorite part of working in the lighting department oh um <laughs> That's a hard one. I So I really love designing. Um, and so I love bringing the story to life with light. A lot of people, um, a lot of times when you see a show, the lighting goes unnoticed, which is mm -hmm. normal. It's expected. Um, but lighting is really the paint to the show. Um, so a lot of times the scenery is a little bit more monochromatic and so are other things. And the lighting is helping build it. It's that final touch that adds a kiss of color to things that it's kind of like watercolor. It, it just brings it to life a little bit. Yeah. And so I think that that's probably my favorite aspect of the process as a whole is creating that, that final product that has completely shifted. I mean, a lot of people will tell you that when you see a set or see a show in work lights, it's vastly different than it is when the stage lights come on. Um, and so it's a lot of collaboration, which is something I love with scenic designers, costume designers, prop designers, to make sure that the light that we give them is enhancing their design as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think from our first season, Alita talked a little bit about how makeup mm -hmm. looks crazy out <laughs> on the street, but once it gets underneath the lights, yeah. it looks much more reasonable. It's a very <laughs> common theme in all of the people that we've talked to in the production department about everyone always says that you won't notice it and that's a, a good, which is, you are noticing it, but mm -hmm. not, if you notice, notice it, then Something's it's probably happened. bad <laughs> right. versus you're doing something that relatively goes unnoticed mm -hmm. in a way that it's just part of the whole story. Yeah. It makes the uh, whole thing sure. feel complete. Yeah. Yeah. And without the collaboration, I mean, you would have, like Alita said, if you, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. makeup looks crazy. Performers <laughs> and directors talk a lot about upstaging, which is whenever a performer upstages someone, it, it they pull attention to them, themselves whenever someone else needs the attention. The same concept can go for designers. Um, I could upstage the performers with my lighting if I wanted to. I could go crazy with moving lights. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not adding to the story, and that's not helping the show. And so it's all about finding the balance of making sure that, you know, the story is being told the way it needs to be. So what is most challenging then about accomplishing that? Um, just to clarify, challenging about uh, not upstaging. No, the whole lighting process. Process. Um, oh, that's really hard. Um, 
I think everyone has different challenges as a designer um, because every designer is very different. It's much like an artist. I mean, um, some people are very mathematical. Some people are very like, oh, I think that a light should go there. And it's like, why? I don't know. I just feel like it, <laughs> like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think a lot of the challenge comes into um, what we call photometrics, um, which are very early phases of the design. And it's the math and the um, calculations to make sure that the foot candles are correct and make sure that the the beam size is correct um, because every single fixture has a different effect on stage. And so we have to figure those out before we plot or draft or design the lights um, so we can kind of visualize in our head what what those are doing. You will have to explain what a foot candle (laughs) is and what a beam is because I guarantee almost everyone (laughs) who's listening does not know what those two are. Uh Yeah. So a foot candle is a measurement of light um, and it changes with, well, actually (laughs) this is a little complicated. (laughs) Um, So we have a lot of different lighting fixtures um, and a lot of, to put it in a very basic form, a lot of these fixtures have different degrees. So there's a five degree, a 10 degree, 26 degree, or. Are you talking about yeah. angle or. I'm actually talking about. the um, color or the. That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually the, the light coming out of the fixture. It's how tight the beam is. Okay, great. Um, so the longer the distance, the tighter the beam you want, because the longer it's throwing, the wider it opens up. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you have a longer throw um, and a, a bigger beam, the intensity of the light is going to drop down. So eventually, you're not going to have enough output of that fixture um, to really show on stage. Right. And so we have to do that math to make sure that, like, we put a light there, it's going to have enough intensity for us to see it. Um, otherwise it's not worth it. Um, so there's a lot of different, um, uh, drawings and things that we do to help draw out those beams. So what's coming from the light. Um, and then also the other aspect of that is the degree at which the, the light is from the performer. Um, so we also have to consider that as well. Um, and there's a ton of different directions of light that, we could go into and <laughs> we don't have to do that but yeah <laughs> it's very it's very math heavy and i suspect that that is actually very surprising to yeah. a lot of people who don't know lights who just go and watch shows yeah. to take in the fact that there's it's, so much math involved it's a fine balance it's um you know you don't want to get too caught up in the math because then at what point do you lose the artistry as well? Right. And sometimes there's only so much you can see on paper. Sometimes you just have to say, you know what? I think that's going to be interesting and I'm going to put it there and put that light there and see what happens. I mean, it may be a total flop and during the focus call or the tech process, you may say, well, we're going to cut that. We're not going to do that anymore. (laughs) You know? Um, So a lot of it is, you know, thinking about ways that you it hasn't been done in the past. So, I mean, there's a, a fine line between creativity and the math part of it. Yeah. So when you are sitting in a hall as an <laughs> audience member, <laughs> Bradley's laughing. Do you know where this is going? Um, <laughs> where is the light coming from? That's a very broad question. Mm. I know there's lots of answers to that, but I think some people will be surprised at the varying places that it could be coming from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the fixtures are attached. Yeah, like where, so when you're lighting, I mean, where are they? I mean, we can, sitting in an audience, you can see some of them, but not all of them. Yeah. 
Um, so in a very basic way of saying this, there's different directions of light that designers consider when designing. Um, and typically you create a rounded image, um, if you will. Um, and so we have things like front light, diagonal front light, um, high side, diagonal back, back, low side, low front. So there's different aspects. So for example, a low front light would actually be coming from like uh, a balcony rail, for example. Um, whereas a, a front light may be coming from um, either the catwalks that are hidden above the audience or in some venues, it's a piece of truss that's been hung and you can usually see the lights. Um, whereas like a, di a diagonal front is coming from the lights when you walk into the space over on the side of the house that you usually see hanging down. Um, but then there's a lot of lights that are actually hidden on stage. There's things that we call booms. Um, and those lights are typically at like a six foot mark. So they're um, meant to, to kind of light the side of the, the performers, dancers, whoever they may be. Um, and it just helps kind of build definition within the body, the costumes. Um, because if you light from one direction, it becomes very flat. Mm. Um, so we want to round everything out and create some definition. Another broad question coming yeah. at you. <laughs> are these lights run by people? And in what capacity mm. are the people running the lights, if there are people running the lights? That is a very broad question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it really depends. So a large majority of the lighting is pre-programmed through a lighting console. Um, and we have moving lights and all kinds of things that um, in a way are controlled by people because it's controlled by a programmer. Uh -huh. um, and then additionally, every single light in the building is touched by a person when we do focusing, um, which we can go into more later. Um, <laughs> but to answer your question in a very specific form, typically there are what we call follow spots. Um, in our venues, we have up to three follow spots. Um, and that's pretty typical. And the follow spot is simply, it's controlled by a person and it's used to accentuate someone who needs the attention. Um, so it just adds a little light onto someone and the operators will follow that person around stage. Um, so they're physically moving correct. the actual machinery to point mm -hmm. the beam in the direction of the performer correct. that yep. we want to draw attention to. Yep. And mostly everything else then is automated during mm -hmm. tech of the show. Yes. Like yeah. that. We have a programmer who programs every single light and what intensity it is at. Um, and we program it in a very simple way so that our operators during the show just have to push one button and it's all pre-programmed to do whatever those lights need to do. Mm -hmm. um, so the operators aren't having to do anything live or um, anything like that. And then stage management cues them mm -hmm. to yes. hit the button for the next. Correct, yep. And that board can even build in fades so it can mm -hmm. make the lights come on and off in different speeds mm -hmm. also. So it's not just Blam, light there, blam, light gone. Blam. <laughs> blam. Blam, light yeah. It feels like that when all the lights go off. Like, it feels yeah, yeah. like blam. Yeah, we do a lot of what we call crossfades and things. So um, you have different up and down time. So it could be an up fade of five seconds and a down, down time of 10 seconds to create certain feelings and, and all kinds of things. Um, and there's a lot of other timing as well, but it gets complicated. <laughs> Everything production is complicated. <laughs> I mean, it is complicated to the normal human, but sure, you know, it there's a lot of moving parts. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, that's that's fair. That's fair. 
Right. So a little about you, Bradley. Mm -hmm. How long have you been with Arizona Opera? So I started with Arizona Opera in November of 2021. And I was just working as a contracted assistant line designer. So I would come do shows and then I would leave and go home or wherever and come back. Um, and then I came on full time with the company as the line supervisor in May of this past May. <laughs> May of May. In May. <laughs> in May. May of May. Perfect. So you just touched on it a little bit, but how mm-hmm. did you end up here? So you had this contract. So I guess, yeah. how did you end up with the contract role? Because yeah. obviously the contract role led you to the full time. Yeah, absolutely. So the theater community in general is very small. Um, in the grand scheme of things. And so I actually, um, the previous assistant line designer that was here, Travis, um, he, uh, during COVID moved on to other things or something. And he just put my name in and I got a call. And so, you know, it's a small community and we all learn or we all meet people. And, um, that's kind of how this community works. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's who, you know, but it's, Word of mouth. Sometimes yeah. it is. Sometimes yeah. it is, for sure. So what were you doing then before we um, heard tell of you and you yeah. came to us? Um, so uh, right before that was COVID. So theater was pretty much non-existent. Um, so I wasn't doing a lot in the theater world. Um, but prior to that, I was working at Disney as an entertainment technician at Magic Kingdom, doing pyrotechnics and lighting. Um I was on the design bench there. Um, and then I also worked for a little bit back at my college as the um, electric supervisor. Um, so that dealt with a lot more of like the actual electrical part of things and making sure that the way we installed things was safe and everything like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was doing before and then COVID happened. So, <laughs> What is your background? What are what is your background and what sort of background do you need or want to become a lighting supervisor? Um, like experience, like, yeah. So where, so how did, where did you go to school? What is your process here? And sometimes that differs from what, you know, some people go to school for, for lighting design and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think it, it really depends on who the person is. Um, Mm college isn't for everyone and Mm I will go out on a limb and say I don't think you have to have a college degree to be in this industry Mm -hmm. um I did choose to go that route I went to Oklahoma City University um and studied um theatrical design and production with an emphasis in lighting design um and so we did a lot of shows and productions and things and that's where I got a lot of my experience I actually started doing lighting for theater um the summer before my third grade year. And so I've been doing it for third a very, grade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah. <laughs> third grade. Cute. Cute. I just imagine it was little. after my first production as Mr. Bundles and Annie jr. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so, and I did not want to give up the theater and it was the summertime and we didn't have anything going on. And the, um, artistic director of our community theater was like, well, you can just come help us do, 
spilled sets and things. I was like, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she was like, here's the lighting board. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to touch a lighting board because I had a weird obsession with lighting from like a very early age. Uh-huh. Um, and so that kind of started. She was like, do you want to run the lighting for Sound of Music, which was the musical that summer? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I did. How and then I did it. Third grade. I don't even know how old I was in third grade. Eight? Um, like eight? Eight-ish, yeah. An eight-year-old running a lighting board. Could you imagine? <laughs> I love that. It was little faders. It wasn't like anything super still, fancy, yeah. but still, yeah. Like, yeah. That's a lot of responsibility yeah. for an eight-year-old. She stood there and watched. But yeah, it was it was kind of life-changing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Aww. yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, so, and I then I did that. it all the way until then. That's so, fun. I love yeah. that. That's a really cute story. <laughs> I love that a lot. So... Since you've been doing this for so long. <laughs> Since he was eight. Right. What What's the, like, most fun, craziest thing that you've been involved in with theater? Um, like, production that I've worked on or, like, yeah. just a totally well, crazy thing? Yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of crazy things that you do. Sometimes, especially in community theater, which I <laughs> love community theater because it's always a challenge um i mean it's things like going to lowe's and trying to find (laughs) like yard lighting or something Uh to try to make something work i mean it's very like you have to think in a very troubleshoot kind of like how am i going to do this um kind of way um but i would say that one of my biggest challenges when designing slash i think accomplishments or like um something that i really enjoyed um, was actually in college. We were designing The Giver, um, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with that that book that's read a lot in schools. Um, but basically, it takes place in a black and white world. Um, and then color is introduced through Jonah, and he's um, being given color because he's being trained to be the giver of memories, basically. Um, a lot of detail that probably isn't needed, but it's a black and white world. And believe it or not, like color reacts a lot to light, um, which we don't have to go a lot into detail on that because it can get really complicated. But I had to do a lot of studying on how our cones and our eyes perceive color um, and how black reacts to lighting um, because black fabrics and black anything a lot of times will shift yeah. to like a red or to a blue. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Kathleen can attest to this. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very frustrating. And naturally, um, Theatrical lighting is very yellow. Mm-hmm. It's very um, very noticeable whenever you compare it to something, but it's not when your eyes adjust. Um, so I had to correct all the lighting to actually be a true white, if you will. Um, and that also meant that all the costuming, anytime there was black or grays or anything, it had to be the exact same fabric. It had to be, and all the paints and all the props all had to match. Um, and so we literally went into a black room, set up lighting, brought in a lot of different gels, put every fabric, every paint, they mixed buckets of paint. So that was the same throughout the entire process. And that's how we did the whole show was making sure that the cones in our eyes and the audience's eyes will perceive this stage as black and white. Um, which was what was really fascinating about that is because your eyes are sitting there for 30 minutes seeing black and white the minute that we would introduce color, it was like super vibrant and Mm -hmm. and really out there. Um, And so we would like light pieces of the set with different colors so that they would Mm -hmm. pop. Um, If you actually look at pictures of the show, 
towards the end, it actually, because I started introducing more of that natural color in the lighting, the set actually started reflecting that color. And it all of a sudden, it looked like there was color in the world again. Cool. It's really crazy how lighting and, and all that can come together to really change the way we see things. Right. Crazy. That sounds super <laughs> cool. That sounds super cool. Um, do you have a dream show? Like if you could, no limits. A dream show that you yeah, like lighting I do. design. <laughs> <laughs> I always like think about a lot of shows that I would love to design, mm-hmm. um, but there's always one that I go back to, and it's um, it's a musical. It's not an opera. <laughs> I would say the dream show for me would be Billy Elliot the musical. It's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> yeah, I just really love the story of Billy Elliot, and I I feel like I relate to it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a show that is on my bucket list of shows to design. Um, so I hope that one day I'll be able to design that one. All right. What did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say prom. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. It's on my list. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Um, if you weren't doing this, the so lighting supervising as mm-hmm. a job, what do you think you would be doing? Hmm. I think I would be traveling in some capacity. I don't know how I love to travel. I grew up traveling. My mom's a travel agent, so it's something I've always done. Um, So I don't know if I'd be like a travel vlogger or blogger or travel agent. I don't know. Um, But I just love traveling. Travel vlogging would be so much fun. (laughs) It sounds Stressful, but so fun. So fun, yeah. Arizona Opera has a number of events and programs to supplement our main stage shows, including Coffee at Care, pre-show talks, and our Opera for Lunch recitals featuring the Marion Roos Pullen Arizona Opera Studio. To find all of Arizona Opera's upcoming events, visit azopera.org slash upcoming events or azopera.org and click calendar. To never miss a moment, be sure to subscribe to our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. What was your favorite project or production from last season? My favorite production from last season was probably A Little Night Music. Um, I love musicals. I love the way that they operate. They're usually a little bit more um, intense when it comes to the lighting and the cueing. Um, So there's more going on. There's a lot more follow spot cues. There's a lot more paperwork and things that happen on the back end. the moving lights are usually doing a lot of work. <laughs> doing a lot of moving, moving, moving. Yep. Um, so there's a there's an element to doing all productions, but last season specifically with a low night music that um, there's just a little bit of a challenge to it, trying to figure out how everything works together. Um, and I I like challenges. I like being pushed a little bit. So sure. So then does that mean that your biggest challenge last season was also the thing that you enjoyed the most in a little night music? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest challenge last season was cozy. Okay. Um, because it was a brand new production. Sure. Um, so there were a lot of scenic elements and there were a lot of um, new lighting ideas and things from that product for that production. Um, we used a lot of led tape within the set as well. Um, which just requires a lot of uh, planning and soldering and little things like that to get it working properly. Um, And so we built all that from scratch. And so 
that was definitely probably the most challenging show that we had. Um, and not to mention that because the set was brand new, there's a lot of drawings and things that sure. aren't fully complete yet because there are changes that are constantly happening. And so there were a lot of lighting things that had to shift as we were learning more about the set. Um, so it's a little, it's harder on everyone because we're having to go up and move lights literally six inches um, to get around the portal Uh or something Um, stuff that wouldn't have been seen in drawings because it's a brand new production. So which aspect of the main stage series are you most excited about? So one of our three sound of music and magic flute. flute. I would say I'm probably most excited for magic flute. Mm -hmm. Um, We are reusing one of our, previous sets for this production but we are totally re-envisioning it or Mm. i guess that's the right word um (laughs) there's a lot of video wall elements that are being added Mm. there are little lighting tricks and other little tricks that are be that are being added into the show slash improved from the previous productions um so i'm really excited to see how that all plays together it's a lot of different departments working together to create these elements Um, And it's a really great example of collaboration within the theater, um, which I'm a huge fan of. So I'm excited to see how it comes. There's literally technology that exists now. Correct. That didn't Mm. exist Mm. Mm -hmm. either at all or in a mass market format when we did this magic flute Mm -hmm. however many years ago. We've spent a lot of time in the shop, um, specifically Elena and I, who is our prop supervisor, looking at a lot of the elements, um, figuring out how we can improve them and redesign them to be more efficient and to work with newer technology and things. Um, so I'm really excited to see how that all comes together. Yeah. Speaking of LED strips, when we did this one, there was a whole bunch of it wasn't LED tape, though, because that wasn't something that you could find. It was LED rope, like the kind oh, that you yeah. use outside I remember that. at Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it ran through a whole bunch of the set and everything. And it, yeah. was, it was kind of a lot, but that yeah. was what we could use right, at the yeah. time. But now available. it's so much easier to do absolutely. a better version of that effect. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's very different and just adds to the production value Mm -hmm. and so i'm really excited to see how it comes together so then what dream project would you bring to arizona opera in the future if you could oh hmm other than billy elliott Elliott. (laughs) i mean it could be it could be billy elliott no i don't think that that fits us very well um i honestly would love to see us do I think I would honestly love to see us do Les Mis. Mm. Um, I love that show. I think it's beautiful, um, both as a stage version. The mu- the movie was great as well, but I've seen it done in a lot of different ways, uh-huh. and I just think that that's a really great piece to really come up with some cool ideas and things. Sure. Um, so I would love to see us do maybe Les Mis one day. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be really fun. I would enjoy that. A lot. <laughs> It's a massive show. Yes, it is. Speaking of massive shows. It's huge. Shows. Well, and I think that, I assume we would put it on one of our big stages, mm-hmm. and that stage is big enough 
to do the barricade movement exactly, on. So, yep. Because <laughs> is one of those pieces that has specific contractual rules yep. depending mm-hmm. on the size of your theater, right. what you have to do and what you don't have to mm-hmm. do. And I think that our space is big Probably. enough. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Movement on. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a big, basically, yeah. turntable where the whole yeah, barricade like rotates it, yeah, around. It's, it's really it's incredible. incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a production person's dream. I think. Like, <laughs> Maybe nightmare. Maybe nightmare. <laughs> Depending on where you sit. In yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, great. So thanks for all of that. But You're now welcome. we're into our speed round section. So we're going to ask some questions and they're fun. And we just want some fun gut reaction from you about okay. the questions. Great. <laughs> I love the um, nervousness. Yeah, it's always, it always happens. But it's fine. It I think fun. that everybody always likes this section once we get I, into it. I do. So <laughs> if you could drop everything and move someplace, where would it be? Three. My gut instinct is Orlando because I love Disney. I love Disney World. I Okay. That's like my gut, which that sounds very like wow, like that's Orlando. where you would go. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> but I would love to live like the countryside in Italy somewhere. Mm. Oh sure. Have yeah. like a Vespa, drive that around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's really if I could drop everything and yeah be able to fly back like and forth whenever I want. Issue. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just go back yeah. and forth between Orlando mm-hmm. and Yeah, in my Venice private jet. Countryside. Yeah. In that's your private jet. In my Perfect. private jet, yeah, Love absolutely. That. That's good. I like it. Yep. Yeah. That's I'm a down. good answer. That is mm-hmm. a good answer. Okay. If you had the power to remove any one food item from existence, from existence, what would you get rid of? That's so hard because I like so many things. I like this question, Cassie, because some Me people too. know. Uh-huh. And some people don't. <laughs> I literally, I'm, I love trying new foods. I think it's part of the, like, me loving to travel. Uh-huh. It, I love experiencing different types of food and cultures. Um, I'm going to tell you what first popped into my head, and okay. I don't even know if this is a food or not. Okay. Um, and it may even just be, I want this animal gone, but, like, snakes. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, you can eat I guess like, can. I just... Immediately, it was like, I hate snakes. <laughs> like, when you said that, if you eat them, I hate them. If they're there, I hate them. Um, I guess I don't hate them. I'm just terrified of them. Um, oh, things I don't like to eat. This is really hard. Funny, I, I, I would be like, no. I know. You, yeah, would, I know. Like, you have the you palate it. of a 12 year old. So. I want it gone. <laughs> I think snakes is a lovely answer. Sure. We go with snakes. If you're out there eating snakes, stop. Bradley. <laughs> Um, okay. I really can't think of a food I don't like. That is, I love. Like, is that not weird? No, it's. I love it because I'm the opposite, and so f- someone that like can't think of a food that they would get rid of just like b- blows my mind. Anything spicy? I hate broccoli. spicy food. I like, like broccoli. Yeah, see, I mean, yeah. a lot of people like broccoli, but like, yeah, I. Spicy. I, I'm food. sure there are things I eat where I'm like, like you would mm, get, It's not very good. You would but. get rid of like. Spice level 10 on the Thai menu. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Perfect. I'm like a zero every time. So, spice so level we're two, of, We're I'm getting out. Rid, rid of flavor spicy instead steaks. of an item. <laughs> spicy steaks. Perfect. Spicy steaks. Snakes. Snakes, yeah. I was like, a spicy steak? That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> I think ketchup spicy. <laughs> Even I, even I do not really feel like I ketchup. Pepper, I, though, I, I pep some. Mm. I just always joke that 
the, when you put pepper in food, like if especially if it's like out of like a grinder, like mm-hmm. the one kernel that isn't ground enough is going to find my mouth yeah. and I'm going to be upset. Like I don't care how many people are eating the food, it's going to find me. Yeah. I have a friend who will open up the pepper and because the holes in the yeah, shaker yeah. aren't enough and they'll just like all I'm like, oh my gosh. Can't do it. All right. Anyway. Anywho. Spicy snakes aside. Spicy snakes. Okay. So then what has been your greatest kitchen mistake? I don't cook a lot. Um, I wish I did, but I don't. Um, so I can't really think of a, a major kitchen mistake, but I can tell you one that like my brother and I kind of made younger when we were younger. Uh-huh. Um, and let me just preface this by like this was all him. Uh-huh. I was just <laughs> yeah. I was just a bystander. Uh-huh, sure, yeah. um, throw him right under the bus. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so he used to be really in love with I can't remember the name of them, but those rolls that come in like the tin can or tin. Um, pie dishes kind of and it's like dinner rolls like the hawaiian ones kind of but these are like frozen usually oh okay yeah um so we had cooked them the night before and then didn't eat them all and we had some leftovers and so he just took the whole thing and stuck in the microwave with the tin (gasps) oh no yeah um set it for like five minutes and then him and i just went upstairs to play playstation or something next thing you know the fire alarm's going off all these things smoke everywhere downstairs uh-huh. and I'm like freaking out because I don't do and he's trying to turn off the alarm and everything oh I go outside my parents are calling like what's going on I was like I don't know there's smoke everywhere oh my gosh. fire department comes everything wow. we didn't burn the house down but we could have did the microwave still work afterwards it did wow yeah I know crazy right oh my gosh oh I also was making <laughs> this one was me here they come yeah <laughs> This one was definitely me. I was making sweet. I'm from Arkansas. Love sweet tea um, all the time. And I was making sweet tea at home. And my mom had taught me how to make it in the microwave. So I threw some tea bags into this like thing, this bowl. Um, but I forgot to put the water in there. Oh, no. <laughs> so, just microwave tea bags? Yes, I did. And it smelled so bad for like days. Because well, you just burned, you burned them. them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that happened. I was happened. thinking that like you put them in and like... The little metal, like, staple that's staple. Oh, no, them. yeah. So, microwaves, maybe not for Bradley anymore. Yeah, maybe no more microwaves. I'm, I'm, I've improved. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite wild animal? Raccoon. <gasps> why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why? We had a pet raccoon growing up. His name was Bandit. This freaks me out. Cute. I love I can't... Raccoons, they are very much trash pandas. Um, but mm-hmm. what really freaks me out about them is their little hands. That's the they best have, part. Yeah. yeah. No. Mm. So when we would get yeah. home from school or something, we had a big cage outside and Bandit would stick his paws out <sighs> through and he'd like... For gra- huggies? Yes. Nice. Yeah, he would lay in our lap or on our shoulders and like pay, play with our hair. Oh, I, I loved it. I just feel like they shouldn't have hands like we do. Like that's not... I mean, they're not exactly like ours. Yeah, but they have like <laughs> fingers and stuff. Like they like hold yeah. their little... They like do. They're like, they're, it's they're, so adorable. They have hands. Mm-hmm. I send not- Cassie. I send Cassie Instagram videos of b- raccoons all the time. This is not the first time that we have had a discussion about animal hands on the podcast. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Bradley, and for all of the great education about lights and where you came from. It was really lovely to chat with you. Come see our shows. Look at all the lights. <laughs>
Yeah, now yeah. that you now that you know, this, I think that you'll probably look at it all a I always, bit differently. Every time I go into a theater, I, I have mentioned this more than once on a podcast about how like my dream is to be a follow spot at some point. I've talked about it on Greg's podcast. We I've, can make that happen. I talk about it all the time. I don't know why. It's just one of those things. But like whenever I walk into a theater, I always look to see like w- if I can find them because they feel like they're in varying pl- not in varying places, but like it's they're hard to find, which is the point sometimes. i think you should come down we'll stick you on a fall spot i think it'd be fun i think it would be fun seriously yeah let's do it <laughs> like actually <laughs> very stressful but fun because like if you miss like that you know there's a lot of stress involved but for some reason i just want to do it anyway it's easier for us because like you have the stage manager in your ear telling you that's mm-hmm. true yeah but like then you got to do it like smoothly so the light's not like boom 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 like all over like yeah. shaking on that's the person <laughs> that's yeah the, that's the hope yeah. yeah and then like you're committed like once the light hits like you just got to keep it there like i feel like it's worse if you're like trying to like do 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 to try and like figure mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of trust that goes into a fallen spot operator yeah mm-hmm. anyway all right great well come to the next show and see cassie as fall spot (laughs) just kidding uh definitely not um but anyway thank you so much bradley for being here this was fun you're welcome thank you for having me join us on our next episode when we will speak with members of arizona opera's paint department We'll be releasing a new behind-the-scenes podcast every month, so make sure to check our website, azopera.org, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And join our email list so you never miss a moment. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes is presented by Arizona Opera's Department of Education and Community Engagement. These programs are made possible in part thanks to the support from Karen Fruin, the Molly Blank Fund, Dr. Rex Brewster, Invest in Kids Charitable Gift Fund, the Marino Family Foundation, the Arizona Republic, Cardinals Charities, the City of Peoria, Desert Diamond Casino West Valley, Kiwanis of Lishfield, and a consortium of individual donors. The Behind the Scenes podcast is also part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative that encompasses a wide variety of programs that go beyond the opera stage to develop the next generation of opera artists, audiences, and philanthropists. To learn more about the programs that are part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative, please visit azopera.org and click Next Gen Initiative. These programs are made possible in part thanks to generous support from Karen Fruin, Roma Whitkoff, Jeanette J. Siegel, the Molly Blank Fund, APS, Jody Pelusi, and a consortium of individual donors. We would like to extend a special thanks to the Marlu Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop. This podcast is produced by its hosts, Cassie Robel and Kathleen Trott, with editing and music composition by Sean Mallow.